Good day, everyone, and welcome back. This is the Quantitative Health Podcast, and I am Dr. Paul Kilgore, your host of the Quantitative Health Podcast. And you can access this podcast through many different means. You can find it on TuneIn Radio, on the app for TuneIn. You can find it on iHeartRadio. You can also download it and find it through podcasts on your iPhone or Android, Google Play. And you can also access it on our website, which is quantitative-health.com. Again, that's quantitative-health.com. My email, where you can write to me with any questions or comments, is quant, Q-U-A-N-T, at quantitative-health.com. You can also leave me a phone message or call me anytime, one 888 406-0008. Love to hear your comments, your questions, and any ideas or suggestions for future topics for our podcast. And uh, thank you very much. So let's get into the topic today, which is about stress. And we're actually talking about stress all this month. And today we're going to talk quite a bit about how stress manifests. In other words, what does stress look like in ourselves and other people, and then what can we begin to do about it? So I'm going to dive right in, and at the outset, what I'd like to do is just make sure that I give you a few thoughts to think about as we're talking about the topic today, stress. So first thing is I need to say that not all stress is bad, and certainly in emergencies, the body's stress response can protect us. It can protect key or vital organs such as your brain. So it can be very, very helpful that way. Also, at the biochemical level in your body, it's good to know that stress causes the release of hormones. And one of these key hormones is called cortisol, which you may have heard of. That's C-O-R-T-I-S-O-L, cortisol. And cortisol is produced in the adrenal cortex, in the adrenal gland, which is just located above each of your kidneys on the right and left side of your body. Some of the immediate effects of cortisol that we experience in our own bodies is really to increase blood pressure. That's one of them. And it also helps stimulate increased production of glucose. And you really, that's important in the stress response to help activate and energize your organ systems. So that glucose gets right into your bloodstream and can actually help support your brain, your heart, your liver, and other muscles actually that you're using in that stress response. What's very interesting about stress is that at the biochemical level, stress really leads to a cascade of signals that come from your brain, originally up in your hypothalamus, and then go down through the pituitary to the adrenal glands right next to your kidneys. And it's very, very important to keep in mind that really when we talk about the stress response, we talk about the interaction of two key systems in our bodies. So these interactions really include the endocrine system and the nervous system. And in fact, we divide the nervous system into two components, really. One is the sympathetic system, and the other is the parasympathetic nervous system. And we'll talk a little bit more about those in future podcasts, too. 
Now, when we talk about this connection between the brain and the endocrine system and the stress response, we're really talking now about a neuroendocrine system. So this is kind of the combination of all your nervous system activities and those interactions with the endocrine system where the hormones are being produced and where they interact with other organs in your body. Certainly, as you can imagine, the endocrine system and the neuroendocrine system actually can impact many, many organs throughout the body that we'll talk about. So there's the key signals. One of the key signals coming out of the hypothalamus is something called corticotropin releasing factor. And then from the anterior, anterior pituitary, that's your pituitary glands, a little pea-sized gland at the base of your brain, very, very important. And that pituitary gland is releasing adrenal corticotropic releasing factor. That's kind of a mouthful. Adrenal corticotropic releasing factor. And certainly, if you have any question about these things, I can answer them by email or certainly you can post a comment on the website and happy to respond. The other thing I would say, too, is that you should know that the adrenal cortex, this is kind of the outer layer of tissue of the adrenal gland, is where cortisol is produced. Now, there's an inner part of the adrenal gland. We call that the adrenal medulla or medulla. And that is the part of the adrenal gland that produces epinephrine. And epinephrine, as you may know, is a key neurotransmitter in the effect of stress on our body. So that's the thing that helps keep our heart rate up, and it helps raise blood pressure in a stress response. Okay, so here's a quick review. Stress leads to the release of CRF, corticotropin releasing factor, from the hypothalamus. That's a part of your brain which is very important. It has a lot of central control mechanisms. Then that CRF travels from the hypothalamus to your anterior pituitary gland. That's still in your brain. And when that CRF hits the anterior pituitary, it causes release of ACTH, adrenal corticotropic hormone, okay? ACTH then flows through the blood from the pituitary, gets down into the adrenal glands, and that's where it causes the release of cortisol, okay? And then finally, cortisol actually can help raise glucose and uh, help make sure that you have sufficient glucose circulating in your bloodstream into your organs to maintain your organ systems during that stress response. So there's a lot of chemistry there, a lot of interaction from your brain to other organs, and you can immediately see how important these hormones are in the interplay between different organs, but also in really creating that stress response. One of the things I think we all know is that stress can affect virtually all aspects of our life, including our emotions, behaviors, our ability to think, and for sure, our physical health. In fact, I would say no part of the body is immune from stress. And that's why we're focusing so much on it today, because it's so important. It's central to our health, really. The other thing we know is that people, different people, handle stress differently. People, when they experience stress, may actually exhibit or show different signs or symptoms that result from that stress. In fact, some of these symptoms can be actually very vague and people may not even attribute them to being stressed. It's also important to know that some of these signs or symptoms that people actually experience can be caused by medical conditions that result from stress. And we'll talk about a few of those today. So when you go to your doctor, or you go to a healthcare provider, I really think it's important to talk about stress, how you feel it, how you're perceiving it, 
how it changes from day to day and how long it's been going on. And also talk about how you are trying to deal with it now, because maybe there are other solutions that we can think of to actually help improve your handling of stress, your management of it. Because I think the truth is, it's going to be impossible for us to really eliminate stress from our lives. So we really need to find the best ways for ourselves to manage it. One of the things also I want to talk about is what stress looks like. As I mentioned, it can be varying across different people, even different cultures and populations. But some of the emotional symptoms of stress that we may find in ourselves or others are the feeling of becoming agitated or frustrated or moody. You can have this feeling of being overwhelmed, like you're starting to lose control or that you need to take control of the situation. Also, you may even have difficulty relaxing and quieting your mind, calming down. People can actually start to feel bad about themselves. They start getting low self-esteem going. They may feel lonely, worthless, and even depressed. And finally, as a result of many of these things, the interaction of all the emotional signs and symptoms, people may actually start avoiding other people. And that itself can lead to exacerbation of stress, I think. Now, on the physical symptom side, we can see a variety of things happening with stress. So sometimes people manifest low energy, sometimes headaches, upset stomach, and that can include a variety of symptoms by itself, also including diarrhea, even constipation, nausea. People can develop aches and pains that they didn't have before. Muscle tension can really rise up. People have also complained of chest pain and rapid heartbeat during stress. And of course, a lot of people have difficulty sleeping. It's thought that maybe 30% of Americans have insomnia at one point or another. So insomnia may actually be a manifestation of stress itself. So that's something very important that we can talk about and work on too. In addition, when we're under stress, that can impact our other systems. And one of the key systems that it affects is the immune system. So we actually see a lowered immunity. So we become at risk for infections or colds and, and things that normally we could fight off, but the stress actually lowers the function of our immune system. So that's a major problem as well. What's interesting about stress, and you've maybe experienced this too, I know I have, you may find yourself in a situation where you're constantly worrying about something. You may have racing thoughts, so jumping from one idea to another, not being able to kind of slow it down and think clearly. You may become forgetful or disorganized. You may have a hard time focusing at work or at home on specific tasks. You may even have experience with poor judgment. So you're making the wrong choices under stress if we can manage that stress, it may improve those symptoms. Some people even become pessimistic or seeing only the negative side of things that could interrelate with other symptoms like depression. We also see behavioral symptoms of stress. So that can manifest as changes in your appetite. Either you're not eating enough where you have no appetite or you're actually eating too much. Other people may manifest procrastination or avoiding responsibilities, both of which can be a symptom of stress. Also, people can exhibit nervous behaviors. Maybe they even adopt nervous behaviors that they didn't have before. Nail biting is one, fidgeting or pacing you may have seen before. When you think of this broad list of signs and symptoms that stress can actually manifest, then we can easily begin to think about what the consequences are of stress. And really, I think what I'm talking about here are signs and symptoms that manifest over 
not just days, but sometimes weeks, months, or even years. And when we start to get into that time frame of weeks to months to years, you're now talking about chronic stress. That's where you start to hear about things like burnout. Very, very big impacts, not only on our work life, but on family life as well. So what does this look like? People can manifest mental health problems. I mentioned depression, anxiety, even personality disorders can start to arise. We see cardiovascular disease, including heart disease, high blood pressure, even abnormal heart rhythms. I mentioned arrhythmias in a past podcast. That's important. Heart attacks can be a manifestation of stress and stroke as well. Stroke is a very, very important entity in our population. Clinically causes lot, not only a lot of morbidity, but a lot of mortality every year. Menstrual problems can occur. Sexual dysfunction can occur, such as impotence or premature ejaculation in men. Even a loss of sexual desire in both men and women can occur as a result of stress. Skin and hair problems also can arise. So talking there about acne, psoriasis, eczema, and even hair loss, sometimes permanent. Then we talk about also the gastrointestinal system. The GI tract can be affected. So we start to see GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease. GERD, okay? That's where acid refluxes back or kind of comes back up your esophagus in, starts to burn the lower esophagus. And that's obviously not good. Gastritis, ulcerative colitis can be a manifestation of stress as well. And irritable colon. So there's a lot there. There's a lot of signs and symptoms that stress manifests. And so when we think about all of these impacts, these effects that stress has in different organs, let's dial this back a little bit and just take a quick look at what is the physiologic response in stress. What is our body doing when we are under stress? And so then you'll be able to, I think, better understand some of the disease impacts that occur. So one of the things that happens with stress that's very interesting is that, of course, with epinephrine and other hormones and uh, blood pressure increases, we can actually see increased rate and force of contraction of the heart muscle. So the heart is working harder, in some cases much harder. And if the blood pressure becomes elevated, that can also lead to heart working harder. When we talk about increased rate and force of contraction, you know, over a short period of time, that's not a bad thing. So that may happen, for example, during aerobic exercise. But if it occurs over a longer period of time where you're under chronic stress, that's where you start to have chronic effects of the epinephrine and other hormones on the heart. And this can be detrimental. One of the other things that happens with the release of these neurotransmitters as a result of the stress response, we start to see increases in another neurotransmitter we call norepinephrine. And norepinephrine can have the effect on your blood vessels of narrowing them. We call that constriction. And when that happens, when we get vasoconstriction, narrowing of the blood vessels, that actually can increase the resistance. That increases the work that the heart needs to do to push blood out to your organs. And that actually leads to high blood pressure, of course. So we have high blood pressure in the presence of stress, forces your heart to work harder. We have hypertension. It also can limit blood flow to key organs, for example, your brain. And this can be a uh, obvious problem. And that's one of the things that leads to stroke as well. So hypertension and stroke go together. So if you do have high blood pressure, definitely get to your doctor, get your primary care doctor, have them assess it, and figure out if you need some treatment or other interventions like diet or an exercise to reduce your blood pressure. The stress response also results in dilation of bronchioles. So we actually see in the lungs a 
widening of the airways. And you can imagine that's important because in the stress response, you need to have more air, more oxygen moving. So there's dilation of the bronchioles in the lungs. Another important thing that happens during the stress response physiologically is that we get stimulation of lipolysis in fat cells. That's basically burning and use of fatty acids for energy production. So we're making energy from the fatty acids in fat cells. And the reason your body is doing that is to help kind of preserve that blood glucose for other uses later on. So it's using other fuel that you have. And you may say, well, that's kind of a good thing, right? Because you're burning fat cells. Well, not necessarily because with that chronic stress, you actually have inflammation. And we're going to talk a lot about inflammation on the podcast in the future, but the interaction of stress and inflammation can be a real health negative. Now, the other thing I want to mention is that we can actually see other signs and symptoms of stress that you might not normally look for or know about. So one is that we can see an increased metabolic rate. So it means we're using more oxygen, more heat is produced in the body, and the medullary, the adrenal medullary hormones that I mentioned also promote breakdown of what we call glycogen. It's a fuel or energy store in your muscles, and that's used to provide glucose for energy production. So your metabolic rate goes up. You also can get dilated pupils, and that's important when you're actually in an acute stress response and you need to have great vision and a field of vision to see any dangers or threats. Now we also see shutdown of other body systems. So one of the things that happens to your GI tract during the stress response is that things kind of stop because your body is focusing energy and blood flow in other organ systems like your skeletal muscles so that you can move quickly or jump or run as you need. And the other non-essential functions like your GI functioning are kind of put on hold temporarily. So that's a quick overview. There are other clinical manifestations that we think of when we talk about the stress response that I just wanted to mention. I'll mention a few of them. I'm not sure I can go through all of them. So acne can actually crop up. This may be more in younger individuals, uh, but it can also happen in adults. Headaches can be a key sign and symptom of stress. It can be in the head or neck region. Uh, which means that it can be in different locations over time. Really not unusual. It's extremely common. And stress can actually trigger headaches, even um, the severe headaches known as migraine. The other thing that stress has been associated with is chronic pain. We start to see more aches and pains, and this can happen in individuals that have pre-existing disease. So, for example, there's a study in sickle cell uh, anemia patients where they looked at levels of stress, and actually in certain diseases we can see increased sensitivity to pain as a result of people being under stress. I mentioned already the more frequent colds and illnesses that can occur because our immune system becomes more susceptible to infection. In other words, our immune system is not working as well when we're under stress. So this is a great reason why we should really find ways to reduce our stress. In fact, one of the things that we found and is being looked at still is if an individual gets a vaccine when they are stressed, you can kind of imagine that if the body's under stress and you get a vaccine, which is supposed to protect you, the vaccine may not give you as good an immune response or your body will not make as good an immune response to that vaccine when you get it if you're under stress. That's one thing to keep in mind, and more studies like this will be looked at, I'm sure, to figure out when is the best time to give someone a vaccine. And also, a huge issue 
in the United States, but other countries as well, is the fatigue, the lower energy, the insomnia that goes along with stress. And this is, for me, one of the key reasons why I think we all need to lower our stress level. Because if we can actually find ways on an ongoing basis, day after day, to lower our stress level and de-stress, then I think we're going to sleep better. We're going to have more energy during the day, which means we're going to be performing at our jobs or our daytime duties better, whatever those are. And we're going to be more alert and we're going to make less mistakes actually too. And I think that's a very, very important point. It's one of the reasons why several years ago they changed the training schedule in hospitals for residents. So when I was a resident, we had work hours that were quite long, and that was actually lowered some years later to help improve the energy among hospital doctors. I mentioned changes in libido. This is important because we find that people under great stress have changes in their sex drive. This is very, very important because it can happen both in men and women, and that can have obvious impact or effect on relationships, on marriages, on everything related to family life. So very, very important to consider. Now, the other important manifestation of stress that we see and hear about all the time is digestive issues. So that can include things like diarrhea or constipation, but it also can include things like irritable bowel syndrome. So we use the acronym IBS for irritable bowel syndrome, and then another acronym for inflammatory bowel disease, IBD. Those are two different things. We'll talk more about those in future podcasts, but some of the signs and symptoms that are going along with those conditions include stomach pain, bloating, diarrhea, and constipation. Those illnesses are very serious because people can experience these conditions for days or weeks at a time especially if they're under repeated episodes or repeated days of stress. So that's a major, major issue in the United States, but around the world as well. Now, the other thing that we mentioned also is appetite changes. We see this very commonly under periods of stress. So people, when they're stressed out, they may have a a go-to food that they eat or consume, or maybe they over-consume even. They may be eating even when they're not hungry. And so we can start to see dramatic or quite noticeable weight fluctuations when people are under stress. But you know, people can also actually stop eating with stress. And that may be as bad as overeating in some cases, depending on who you are. One major clinical condition that I need to mention that occurs with stress is very, very important. Maybe one of the most important things that we don't really get enough attention on, and that is depression. So when we talk about depression and we talk about chronic stress, it has been found that individuals under both acute and chronic stress experience more depression. In fact, that can actually stimulate the onset of depression in individuals that may not have experienced it before. So stress is a very, very important trigger to know about. And one of the reasons why controlling of stress, managing of stress is so very important in everyone. I mentioned you rapid heartbeat, and that can be by itself disconcerting. So when you have your heart kind of jumping out of your chest, you start to think of the worst things, right? You're thinking of an arrhythmia. You're thinking of a bad heart. And that can be kind of a, a stress cycle that you you start to think about it too much. And then you realize, well, I need to go get checked out. Never hurts to go get checked out, by the way, if you're feeling your heart jumping out of your chest. So I recommend doing that if you have any concern at all. Now, we start to see excessive sweating. 
So that can be hard. Your, your palms and feet can sweat. They have arm sweat, and it can be really, really uncomfortable. And so when we think about this gigantic range of signs and symptoms, we really can start to realize that stress literally affects every part of our lives. It affects every organ system, and it affects everyone. So for me, I really think it's one of the most important health issues that we need to tackle and deal with and really find good solutions for. Because if we can do that, I really think we can reduce a lot of other illnesses or the impact of other illnesses as well. We could reduce heart disease. We could reduce obesity. We could reduce the effect of inflammation, which is things like metabolic syndrome. It's things like heart disease. It's things like cancer. So all of these can be interrelated with stress. And it's not something that we normally think about, actually, when we think about the impact of stress. So a lot of dramatic impacts of stress. And, you know, one of the things that we always think about is when we see these effects of stress, the question is, how do we measure stress? And when we talk about how we develop an approach to help reduce our stress, it would be nice to know if we have a way to quantify our stress. So when we think about quantitative health, for me, the measurement of stress is at the very top. And I'm giving you a sneak preview of ways that we can begin to measure stress. We're going to really dive into this deeply in our next podcast episode. It includes both observations about what you do every day, so behavioral observations like number of meals eaten, number of drinks, number of cigarettes smoked. It also is tabulating or counting, quantifying your experiences, number of headaches, how severe are they, how long do they last, number of upset stomach episodes, number of deadlines that you missed, even Uh, results of the stress you can actually measure, monitor, and count. So number of impulse purchases would be another one. Number of times that you gambled beyond your weekly limit or your monthly limit as another potential indicator. And then when we think about other ways to measure stress, we think about more objective measures. And we're going to really do a deep dive on these next week when we talk about things like heart rate variability, heart rate variation. When we talk about measuring cortisol levels, So that includes things like measurement of salivary cortisol or blood cortisol. You can also measure cortisol in hair. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about how we can measure what we call cytokine. These are chemicals in our body that actually get pushed out or created and released when we have inflammation and stress. So we call those pro-inflammatory cytokines. Another thing that we can do is actually look at a more biochemical level and molecular level, and we can look at RNA, RNA profiling it's called. And we're going to deep dive that. We're also going to talk about telomeres in this discussion because all of those can be affected or influenced and changed when we are under stress. And then finally, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about interventions that we can do for stress. We're going to talk about exercise, the role of exercise, meditation, yoga, tai chi, massage, other interventions that are out there and some of the newer ones that we can actually think about looking into that in combination with each other may be very effective in helping us manage our stress. There's so many things to talk about in this topic. I love it. It's for me one of the most important topics. So stay tuned for the next episode. I'm very excited to bring this to you. And in the meantime, stop by the website quantitative-health.com 
or drop me a quick email, anything you want to say, let me know, at quant, Q-U-A-N-T, at quantitative-health.com, or drop me a phone call. Uh, leave a phone message or schedule an appointment on my website. You can reach me anytime by phone at one 406 I love to talk with you anytime. Just give a holler. I'm happy to chat. Thanks so much. Look forward to talking with you soon. Take care. <music>